This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Rich Bradbury and welcome to Enterprise Biz Bites. It's 12.05 here in the studio, coming up to 12.06. It is Tuesday, the 24th of October, and it is Tech Tuesday. Uh, we'll be discussing Elon's X Premium, AI transparency, and some startup success stories. And I've been joined on the phone lines by none other than Culture Pop's Matt Armitage. Good afternoon, Matt. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Richard. I'm much better when I'm in uh, virtual or digital form. <laughs> it was good to see you, though, the other day at the Enterprise Breakaway. Uh, what do you think were some of your, uh, I don't know, uh, takeaways from that event the other day? You were, you were on the AI panel. You were moderating that, correct? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the big takeaways for me was that uh, that these are tools, not solutions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everyone's very excited about AI. Everyone uh, wants to get their hands on the, the products. But uh, as I, I think we'll sort of see with some of the stories we're talking about today, yeah. there is this tendency to uh, over-rely on them and to think that they are a solution to a problem and not just a tool mm. to actually help you speed the, the decision-making. Uh, and the other thing is just uh, the, the implementation of uh, edge computing, how AI can transform uh, what companies are, are looking for in terms of edge com- uh, computing solutions. Mm-hmm. Okay, folks, if you have anything you want to comment on uh, today's show or you want to get in touch and maybe ask us to touch on a particular topic that we've avoided, you can get us on our U-Mobile WhatsApp number. It is 018-789-8899. And get us on X. Uh, we are at BFM Radio. You see, it, it's still I'm still in the habit of wanting to say uh, tweeters at... But that leads nicely, of course, onto our first story. And it's somebody me and you haven't really spoken about uh, much of. I think we've kind of briefly mentioned him every now and again. Of course, everybody's tech favorite, Elon Musk. Um, who? Who? <laughs> who? Who? So he has said that X uh, will soon launch an ad-free version of their X premium subscription, allowing users to pay to not see adverts. Uh, the site will offer a lower-cost version of premium. What would you call a lower-cost version of premium? Um, we'll come to that in a minute. A premium minus. Premium, yes, possibly, uh, which will include all the features of the subscription, but with no reduction in ads uh, alongside the more expensive ad-free version. While the pricing of the two subscriptions or launch date has not been confirmed, currently X Premium costs uh, around $8 a month or 38 ringgit a month or $84 a year. Uh, it includes, get this, very fancy, verification badge, the ability to edit posts after sending them, and the ability to post longer text and video content. Uh, of course, after his takeover, um, We've seen revenue at the company plummet after advertisers fled over fears about the new owner's approach to uh, content moderation and free speech. Uh, and this week, though, the company began a trial in New Zealand and the uh, uh, Philippines where new users are asked to pay this annual fee uh, of $1 just to post and reply to others. Uh, and his argument is that this is the best way to combat bot and spam accounts as forcing users to enter credit card details will dissuade them. Matthew, your thoughts, please, sir. Well, you know, often I'm seen as somebody who kind of automatically objects to uh, everything Elon Musk does. And a lot of this is actually quite sensible. I mean, Mm. this echoes uh, what I've been saying for a long time, that we should be paying for these social media tools that 
we use. Now, there are issues surrounding that because it comes down to the issue of utility. Mm -hmm. So how much or how many of your users are actually willing to pay for the service? Well, obviously, we know that Twitter is kind of a niche service. So there are people who depend on it, people in sort of journalism, uh, various sectors of business, people in uh, politics. So it has that kind of niche audience who are willing to, to pay for yeah. the service. Uh, however, how many of those people and what the kind of scale of that conversion is going to be? Because the bulk of the users on the platform, obviously, are people who just want to use it for for nothing. The hype. Uh, I think the well yeah, I think that I think the one dollar is is good mm. uh in terms of just saying, you know, here I am, I'm willing to contribute this much to your service because again it indicates how much utility your service has. Mm. However, for social media companies that have built their model on free that can actually lead to a mass exodus mm. of users and whether that rump base is enough to operate your system mm. is what it comes down to because there's also the the aspect that if you're making it ad free for the people on these premium service tiers presumably the people who are left to view the ads are going to be the people that are viewed as uh, perhaps of less value mm. to the advertisers because the advertisers really want access to the people who are willing to pay for your service mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, because those are the, the users who are uh, more engaged. They're probably more affluent. They probably spend more time on the platform. So you have to kind of balance all of these things. But I do think it's a, a move in the right direction. Uh, and as for the uh, as for the putting your credit card details in as a way to uh, dissuade bots and spam accounts, yeah, of course that's mm. that's absolutely spot on. And the proliferation of spam and bots is largely to do with this model that we've chosen, mm. which is to have everything nominally free. Now I, I know you're not the biggest of, of Twitter or X use users. Um, but if, if this kind of a similar model were moved to threads, for example, or, or something that you are a little bit more in, engaged with, would you be willing to pay for it? For the, well, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, I would probably reduce my social media usage to the platforms that have utility to, to me. Yeah. So I would probably stick with, uh, with Facebook, right. uh, with the, the kind of meta platforms, because those have the, the most use to me. Mm -hmm. I, wouldn't bother with, uh, I probably wouldn't have a, a TikTok if I had to pay for a TikTok. I probably wouldn't have, uh, well, I, I wouldn't have Twitter if I had to, to pay for it. And I'm going to keep calling it Twitter because <laughs> X is just nonsense. You uh, and I think we'll, well, I, I think we'll, I think we'll see it revert at, at some point because I, I don't know if the, the X name is gaining Mm. gaining enough traction mm -hmm. uh with with people so and and again you know all of the email updates i get from uh from the company is the email header is x formerly twitter yeah so yeah. you know they still rely on the previous branding to let people know what the, the platform is yeah. because x on its own is just not sufficient um I've forgotten what the question was now. <laughs> the question was, would you be willing to fork out uh, money to do something on, on a similar service no, that now wasn't X? 
Yeah. I mean, I like I said, I, I pay for most of the services I use online, the ones that have utility for yeah, me. I yeah, tend yeah. not to rely on ones that uh, that I have uh, free uh, free levels in. And I would actually prefer to pay for something like Facebook rather than to be served up the nonsense and have the algorithmic feed programming mm, to me. Mm. Uh, again, you know, I pay for YouTube for precisely that reason, yeah. to avoid all the ads in in the feed. So, yes, I'm very prepared to to pay for a service that offers me, um, offers me that kind of ad-free or less algorithmically programmed uh, service that that we'll kind of dislike. Mm. Okay, let's move on then before we uh, have to jump into uh, some messages. Um, uh, and, and this is definitely something we, we've spoken about in the past. Uh, but this is there's, there's a uh, new uh, research paper out at Stanford University. They, uh, Stanford University researchers devised a foundation model transparency index uh, research paper that ranks 10 major AI firms. And the report showed that no major foundation model developer is close to providing adequate transparency, revealing a fundamental lack of transparency within the AI industry. Uh, so it's AI models lack transparency, according to research. Um, so they tracked 10 most popular AI models who disclosed information about their work and how people use their systems. So just to run through a couple, Llama 2, which of course is by Meta, has the best score of 54%. GPT-4, uh, obviously the flagship model of OpenAI, which created the renowned chatbot, uh, was ranked third with a score of 48%. Other models evaluated included Stability Stable Diffusion, uh, 47%, Google's Palm 2, 40%, Claude at 36%, Amazon's Titan at 12%, and uh, Rishi Bomasani, he's a researcher at Stanford Center for Research on Foundation Models, said companies should strive for a score of between 80 and, and 100%. Um, I think when we've discussed this in the past, Matt, we've always said, and we've repeatedly said, we do not know what data is being fed into these bots or the data that they are using. We we can assume, based on some of the results that they come out with, that it has been fed very large portions of the internet and most likely very large portions of social media and one thing or another. But do you think it, it's fair to ask some of these companies how transparent they are, which data that they're using? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we all need those guarantees of uh, transparency mm. and data. As the tools become ever more complicated, we need to have ways to actually look inside these boxes and see uh, not only what information they've started from, but how they actually process that information, because that's one of the other aspects of uh, this transparency. It's not just about the data they consume. Mm. It's how they actually process that data. So, uh, for example, we did a, a story, I think, on uh, Matt's playing last week about data labeling, yeah. uh, which was, uh, you know, this uh, not not hidden, but largely unknown industry of people to, who actually tag the information in the data sets that, mm -hmm. that go into to training these models. You know, there's so much of the AI industry currently is opaque, but the tools are becoming, you know, essentially ubiquitous. They're being used in so many different aspects of, of everyday life. But we have no idea what's gone into them. We've got no idea how they work and we don't even know really that the companies that build them 
know how the machines are actually processing mm. the information. So, yes, this this move towards uh, transparency is essential, and it's something that we need to see uh, more legislation uh, guaranteeing and actually requiring companies to make their, their data sets and their training information available, if not for public view, then at least for some kind of peer review system. Of course. I mean, less transparency obviously makes it harder for policymakers to design meaningful policies. Uh, it also makes it harder for businesses to know if they can rely on the tech for their own applications uh, and even for academics to do research and for customers to uh, consumers to understand the model's limitations, right? Yes, but you see, the commercial companies don't care about any of those things. So that's not the purpose of the models. That's not the purpose that the company designed them for. That's why we have to have uh, this legislation framework that mm. actually uh, puts that information in front of uh, all of the people um, so that we, we do have these guarantees. So it is easier for policymakers to design policies uh, and, of course, for people who do research, but most importantly for consumers so mm. that we know what the implication of these machines is for our daily lives. All right. Hold that thought, Matt. Uh, I need to take a short break. Folks, I'm on uh, the phone, of course, with Matt Armitage from Culture Pop. It is Tech Tuesday today, running through some of the major stories from tech of the last week. Uh, Elon, uh, Elon's X Premium, it sounds like something it shouldn't be. Uh, AI transparency and, of course, startup success stories coming up in just a few minutes where we'll be looking at how computer, sci uh, sorry, computer scientists have predicted whether your uh, startup will fail based on your personality apparently uh some music coming up of course with the smashing pumpkins and ava adore here on enterprise biz bites on bfm 89.9 burger fries milo bfm 89.9 the business station BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back, ladies and gents. My name is Rich Bradbury. I'm still here in the studio. And on the phone line with me is still Matt Armitage, of course, from Culture Pop. 1998, Matt. Can you believe I that? No, I was young then. Yeah, me too. I've, <laughs> I was 21 years, 22 years old. Bless me for all those. Anyway, um, enough about that. Gosh, enough. I wasn't that young. We know you were just a, just a smidge older. Uh, folks, thank you for joining us, of course. If you do have anything to comment on this show, get us via our U-Mobile WhatsApp number 018-789-8899. You can also get us on Twitter. We are at BFM Radio. Uh, now, of course, let's move on a little bit. Um, so um, just before the break, we spoke about some um, AI transparency issues. Uh, this is a little bit different, though. We're moving on to um, startups. And obviously, with it being an entrepreneurial show, uh, we talk quite a lot about startups. And sometimes one of the questions we get asked is, you know, um, how often do businesses fail? Um, what should we do? How do you can you in fact predict whether a business is a good business or not? And what's the likelihood of of it to fail? Um, well, it seems that and I, when I say this, I, I feel like um, I, I don't know if you remember that TV. I'm sure you remember this TV show from the UK called Tomorrow's World, Matt. Um, Starting in the late '60s, I believe, all the way through to the early '90s. 
You remember that, yeah, right? Of course I do. Of course. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was a TV show that essentially showed all the latest and greatest tech in that typical BBC way of it, like your auntie telling you what the latest tech was and, you know, making it all very kind of very English, you know? So Very English. And there's loads of uh, Tomorrow's World YouTube clips as well, which are really highly well worth yes. uh, watching yes. just for the haircuts. But, but they would introduce stuff like, computer scientists today have said that kind of thing, right? So this is yeah. a computer scientist story. They have predicted whether your startup will fail based on your personality. So it's a study from the University of New South Wales, uh, Oxford University and other Australian universities who have identified six personality types that are linked to success amongst startup founders. So these personality types are fighters, operators, accomplishers, leaders, engineers and developers. And this is collectively referred to as FOLD. Um, F-O-A-L-E-D, and the study used data from over 21,000 startup founders and found that the combination of personalities within a founding team plays a significant role in success. Uh, traits like uh, a drive for variety, openness to adventure, less modesty, and high energy levels are associated with successful founders. Uh, the research also emphasised that these traits do not need to be concentrated in a single founder, thankfully, and highlights the importance of diversity in startup teams. Uh, startups with diverse founder combinations have a significantly higher chance of success, and this concept is referred to as the ensemble theory of success. Matt, is this anything new? Yeah. No, it's absolutely nothing new. I mean, it's just... a people coming up with a, another bunch of initials for stuff that we already, we already knew, know. right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it highlights the importance of diversity in startup teams. Well, we know that. We know that diversity in businesses is what gives it its strength. Mm. Uh, I think it builds on uh, what's the... Uh, What's the, the the three H's? The uh, the hipster, the hacker, and the hustler, which is something that uh, Silicon Valley has been using for over a decade. Mm. Which says that you know you need a, a charismatic front person, you need somebody who's really really hot at the technology, and then you need somebody who you know basically never stops working. Yeah. And we've seen that in an awful lot of successful companies, not necessarily concentrated in three people. It mm. might be those traits concentrated in two it might be those traits concentrated in uh you know four or five people yep but we know we know that diversity uh diversity helps and and again this is a, a study that's done using machine learning tools and there's this danger whenever we use uh these kind of predictive tools yes uh they can be quite accurate when we look at uh, historical data the the predictions tend to hold true for a certain period of time. But, you know, it's like when we look at economic theory, economic yeah. theory is great at working on historical data, not so good at predicting the future. Uh, so we can we can see those kind of parallels and uh, corollaries there, but it's a very reductive way of looking at people and uh looking at you know businesses and, and human beings these are about human talent uh, and when we rely on the machines too much to predict what's going to happen in the future with humans mm. we're essentially saying you know we're no more or we're no better than the than the machines and 
as I said, that that reductive process uh, makes us more like the machines, which we're not. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's do something a little bit uh, further along the field then. Um, uh, Do you want to talk? uh, This is my turn to ask you questions. Normally on Matt's plane, it's you asking me questions. Do you want to talk about? I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want to talk about a, a chat GPT for DNA? No. Okay, let's move on then. Well, uh, that's got you stumped, uh, isn't it? No, no. That, yeah, that would be really cool. Okay, um, there's a company called Ginkgo Bioworks, uh, and they're collaborating with Google Cloud uh, to explore the potential of generative AI in, in biotech. We, we've already heard about it moving into some biotech spheres. But their goal is to create a f- this foundational models in biology by using machine learning to train neural networks to write DNA sequences, similar to the way that LLMs have been trained to write text. So they then believe that these models combined with genetic data could revolutionize drug discovery and various biotech applications. Uh, And the project involves training a large neural net with extensive genome data. So as we know, DNA is considered a code and the AI is trained to understand the grammar and language of DNA and proteins. So they've got a substantial data set of genome books, which are used to train the model. And Google believe it, uh, are investing $250 million in compute resources for this project, and Ginkgo will receive milestones as they roll out these models. So the success of this experiment will be determined by whether the AI can outperform human scientists and existing computational tools in generating new DNA designs. What do you think about that? I think this is a really interesting story. I think it's something that uh, we might expand on and, and do for a Matsplained episode mm. at, uh, at some point in the future. Uh, now, I assumed that this was something that was already being done because we've had uh, Google's AlphaFold in the past, which is essentially doing this, but uh, reading uh, what the, the, the guys at Ginkgo Bioworks uh, have been saying is that Google was actually working from a very limited data pool. Right. So their alpha fold, as fantastic as it was, didn't really have an awful lot of information. So this is essentially what these guys are doing. They're going out and they're taking that that genetic data for all of the things that we see in the world, all of the, the different kind of plants, all the different species, and feeding it back into the machines. Now, the issue, uh, again, this is just sort of talking without having very much information about this. Mm. But the issue will then be, is it going to have some of the same problems that we see in tools like ChatGPT, this uh, this ability to hallucinate or to confidently predict wrong answers? Or in this case, so mutate. This would be, well, yeah, exactly. So would I think this is uh, where that, that kind of clause, you know, will it... Will it compare to or outperform human scientists and the existing computational tools? Because accuracy is obviously the mm. the key. As you said, if you don't want to have a, a three-headed Richard, uh, you know, <laughs> or, or a, a dog with 16 legs, unless you're actually trying to create a dog with 16 legs. I mean, mm. that could be quite useful in, uh, in some situations. Um, but, yeah, no, this is... This is a very cool technology. And as I said, this is something that I thought was already being done with models like AlphaFold. But then you find out that actually, uh, you know, we've just been talking about um, uh, the transparency of data. And of course, we don't know the transparency of data. So we don't have all the information or or we didn't have the information that Google didn't really have enough information. Mm, mm. And they need a company like 
Ginkgo Bioworks to actually go out there and do the additional research and to bring together all of these genome sequences uh, to, to put them into this data set. Right. On that note, um, I think we'll take a short break. I have some more music. What have we got next? We've got, uh, uh, oh, we have a little bit of the Unknown Mortal Orchestra coming up in just a couple of minutes. Before we get there, though, just a quick reminder, you can get us via our U-Mobile WhatsApp number, 018-789-8899. Get us on X or at BFM Radio. When we come back, just a, a few quick little stories. TikTok launching in Singapore, uh, TikTok Music, rather, launching in Singapore. Uh, there's some Disney stuff related to TikTok as well, which we might get to and this I, I think one of the big stories i want to look at is this uh facial recognition search engine that now blocks searches for children's faces which i think is a, a fantastic piece of tech we'll get to that very shortly though uh, first up though some messages and i'll be back with matt in just a few moments here on enterprise biz bites on bfm 89.9 the business station benchmark for managers bfm 89.9 BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. That was the Unknown Mortal Orchestra with Swim and Sleep Like a Shark. On the phone lines with me right now, of course, it is Matt Armitage from Culture Pop. Welcome back, Matt. Thank you for not uh, disappearing during the little break there. Well, I disappeared uh, briefly, but I'm kind of glitching at the moment because uh, Richard's left an extra line space between two of his notes in a document, and it's really freaking me out. <laughs> really? Is that the big deal right now? Okay. Uh, Absolutely. It's it's upsetting all of my symmetry control. Hang on. Let me just delete this thing from Matt so he's okay. Is that better? There you go. I've done it for him. Fox That's it. much better. If only, you, if only you could see his face here right now. Anyway, um, shall we get on to some work because that's what we're here to do right to talk to people on radio and let them feel they're in the same room as us uh now we we spoke about this uh chat gpt for dna interesting story there uh moving on to social media tiktok of course they've just launched um TikTok music down in Singapore with these new interactive features. Uh, it's a premium-only social music streaming service, of course. Uh, it allows subscri- uh, subscribers to listen, download, and share full tracks within their communities and transition seamlessly between TikTok and TikTok music. It offers this new music discovery feature, including Party It, including personalized collaborative listening and a music discovery personal assistant called Tonic. Now, here's the thing. Tonic is a chat GPT-powered music discovery personal assistant that provides information on artists, tracks, playlists, concerts, and, and music news. Matt, come on, give me your thoughts on this. Well, uh, you asked me earlier, Is you know, would I be prepared to, to pay for various platforms? And yeah. I said I probably wouldn't be prepared to, to pay for TikTok. But actually, uh, with a service like this, I would potentially pay oh, for it. Oh, this is interesting, because uh, I never expected you to say yeah, that. Yeah, because as... No, 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 because as uh, a lot of listeners know, I I check out all of the the, the music streaming platforms. Yeah. I have subscriptions to quite a few already. Uh, I generally stick with uh, Spotify, because I, I not... You know, it's not an endorsement. It's just I like new music. It has the best new music discovery tools. So I'm very interested to try this new TikTok version to see how it actually is with new music discovery, because that is important to me. And also to see how it integrates into uh, that kind of social sharing system, Mm. because that's something that, uh, 
you know, Spotify is is not particularly good at sort of getting your information out and and uh, sharing your playlists with people. Not terribly easy. You know, it, it tends to be uh, copying a link and then pasting it onto WhatsApp yeah. and sharing it with people that way. I'd like to see how TikTok actually approaches this. Um, Tonic, I mean, you know, the, the, all the services use algorithmic power tools for music discovery anyway. So it will be interesting to see how a more kind of chat oriented mm. algorithm actually works. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for this uh, and I'm really looking forward to uh, trying it out. Do you, do you have a TikTok account? Yeah, of course I do. Okay. Um, I, I've only made about three or four, uh, four TikToks. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not as uh, active on the platform as uh, I should be. And because I'm not very active, uh, my my feed is not particularly interesting or yeah, yeah. Uh, engaging to me. So I, you know, it's one of those off-putting things. Until you put the time into the platform to get the kind of content you want to see, you just have this kind mm. of mess, and I can't get past the mess mm. to to get into TikTok. So this could be a this way could be for the, the, the me way to, in, yeah. to use it. Yeah, it's smart. The, the gateway I'm, for me. Yeah. I, I agree because I mean I have a TikTok account. I, I barely use it, and and I'm like you when I when I'm scrolling through. A lot of the content that I, that I see is completely, you know, it's not stuff that I find interesting necessarily. Um, but if I start engaging, I guess, with the the music side of things, maybe it might it might start encouraging me to explore a little bit further. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I, I remember opening the app up uh, one day and uh, uh, seeing a radio presenter I know making toast. Um, yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was some time ago, let me tell you. <laughs> yes. It, I think that was uh, pandemic time. Yeah. I think it was. I was putting uh, instant noodles inside toast, uh, as somebody had told me to try. Don't. I suggest you don't do that, ladies and gents. Uh, anyway, moving on. Um, this is. Have you heard of Pim Eyes, Matt? No, I haven't, actually. Okay, so they're um, a facial recognition-based public search engine. Uh, and what they've done is they've introduced a, a new system uh, to prevent searches of minors due to concerns about uh, child endangerment. So this system obviously uses age detection AI. Um, it's still a work in progress. And there's a piece on the New York Times where they find that it struggles to identify children photographed at certain angles and does not always accurately detect teenagers. So PIMI has decided to implement this protection mechanism following concerns raised about AI's threat to children. And this service has already banned over 200 accounts uh, for inappropriate searches of children. Uh, and privacy advocates criticize these technologies for lacking built-in privacy uh, protections. We've seen this in, in quite some... Um, uh, I, I've actually seen it, a similar kind of algorithm procedure used in stuff like Google Maps, of course, when we've seen it, you know, cars driving down the street and they've taken images and we've seen people's faces blurred out. But often... Back in the day, not too long ago, you would see kids' faces still highlighted. Uh, they hadn't managed to blur out the kids' faces. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are so many issues surrounding this kind of facial recognition technology. Um, firstly, should the should the technology be able to identify children? Well, a lot of people would argue that it should be able to identify them because what if uh, a child is kidnapped or, yep. or lost? Um, but at the same time, your child should have privacy yep. in uh, certain 
certain spaces. Uh, we have also these issues of, uh, I think you mentioned it, it struggles to identify children photographed at certain angles. But we also have this issue with a lot of facial recognition technology that it works better on light-skinned people. Mm, mm. So anyone who, uh, you know, has a, has a darker complexion, uh, races that aren't kind of European or, or Northern European, tend to be flagged less accurately by these systems. Uh, the same men tend to be flagged uh, more accurately than women do, simply because the the data sets are trained on larger data sets of men than they mm -hmm. are with uh, uh, with with women. So yeah, there's there's an awful lot of issues to do with this kind of technology. If we can, you know, um, digitize or pixelate the the faces of children more easily, that's a fantastic yeah. addition. But again, what what is that? What is that cutoff point? Different countries classify children at different ages. Mm. You become an adult in different countries at, at different ages. How does a machine uh, know the difference between a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old, especially as, you know, one day before a birthday, one day after a birthday? How do you actually predict that kind of... So mm. we're asking the technology, I think, to do things that is not practical. So that's why society has such a role in actually saying what this technology should be used for, because mm. there are limits to what the technology is capable of doing. The irony is, uh, Prim Eyes, if you don't know, folks, is a uh, face search uh, face search engine and a reverse image search engine. So you know, you you post uh, you paste a picture of you know yourself or or Matt or, or whoever, and it will then troll the internet and find out all of those places that this image has been posted. Interesting stuff, anyway. Um, but it is accurate. Well, I can tell you that. Yeah, it, it is, and I, and and I'll admit, you know, I think we've we've all tried to do things like that. You know, just putting people's images into. Um, into Google just to, to kind of reverse engineer who that, that person might be, especially when you can't remember somebody's name. So this technology does have its uses. It is very useful. Um, but again, the protections have to be codified. Mm. Okay. Um, I think we've probably got time for one more story before we have to wrap up. Uh, do we want to do Amazon or do we want to do Uber? We want to do Amazon because this is actually my favorite story of all of them. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, just to give you some uh, information, uh, background, uh, uh, Amazon are testing humanoid robots in a warehouse automation push. Uh, so they say that... Uh, they are testing uh, two new technologies to increase automation in its warehouses, including a trial of a humanoid, uh, humanoid robot uh, called Digit. It's bipedal and can squat, bend, and grasp items using clasps that imitate hands. It's built by Agility Robotics and will initially be used to help employees consolidate totes uh, that have been emptied of items. They've invested uh, quite heavily in Agility Robotics. Uh, last year, and they've deployed robots in their warehouses for decades. We already know this. However, it was mainly to move inventory to waiting uh, employees. Uh, Bloomberg reported that the system, which starts with uh, humans stuffing inventory items into mesh shelving, is undergoing a transformation to container-based storage, with uh, which more easily allows robotic arms and other automated tech to sort and pick items. Come on then, I know it's your favourite story. Talk to me about it. 
Well, I think there's a few issues here. So firstly, you've got a, a bunch of robots whose job it is to sort the empty boxes that people have processed. Uh, now, the robots don't need time off. The robots can work 24 hours a day. And you've invested all that money in the robots, so you want the robots to be continuously working. Yeah. Therefore, people have to be emptying the boxes at a rate fast enough uh, that it's necessary to have a robot stacking them. So from that perspective, you can actually see the implementation of this kind of automation increasing the pressure on, on human workers. Uh, but when you take it to the, the next stage, I mean, that's obviously just a, a kind of interim, uh, interim stage. When you take it to the next stage, it's these robots being capable of doing all of the warehouse tasks yep. in these Amazon packing warehouses. Now, there's been a lot of criticism about uh, these jobs, whether workers have uh, protections, whether they are under too much pressure to perform and uh, to compete. Um, this could, in the long term, reduce the number of human workers that are needed on the floor. So if your view is that these are kind of inhumane jobs, well, you've got inhumane staff who are lining up to, to take them in the, in the form of robots. If you look at it through the lens of will this reduce the amount of employment for humans, yes, it could well do. But if we see increases in employment in other sectors to, to absorb the, the workers who lose their jobs, that could be a positive things because a positive thing because these jobs are often not looked at very positively um, from you know, with that outside mm. lens. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, I, I went to see the uh, the creator over the weekend, and uh, this kind of harkens back to the, the beginning start of that and how if you haven't seen the creator and you're interested in AI and robotics and all of that kind of stuff, highly recommend that you go and see it before they take it off the cinema. But this feels like the beginning of the creator. Um, it it does a bit, but again, you know, when we watch movies like that, we're only seeing one potential future yes. or one potential outcome of the the technology. So, yes, that that outcome is possible, just in the same way that you know the the outcome of the Terminator films is possible. But are those likely outcomes? No, probably not likely mm -hmm. outcomes. Okay. Matt, thank you very much for joining me today. Of course, I'll, I'll be catching up with you again later on in the week on Friday, just to kind of see what other stories uh, you've managed to dig up in detail. And you'll be asking me those questions, of course, on, on Friday. The role will be reversed. Maybe you can come back next Tuesday, though, and have a chat about some of the stories I pick. Huh? Let's see about that. Yeah, I, 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 I might be washing my hair, but that takes me about three seconds, so I'll well, be free. Well, there you go. Thank you very much. Of course, that was Culture Pop's Matt Armitage. Uh, now, don't go anywhere, folks. Coming up after the one o'clock news, of course, we have the Breakfast Grill replay with Daryl Fung, the executive director of the Aquawalk Group of Companies. With the pandemic over and visitorship uh, returning to 2019 levels, Aquawalk Group, which owns aquariums in Phuket and Jakarta, as well as Aquaria KLCC, is now looking forward to expand to Vietnam and India. And the executive director, Daryl Fung, uh, joined the Breakfast Grill to talk about a plan that was halted because of COVID and IPO, uh, IPO plans on Bursa, Malaysia. That's all coming up after the one o'clock news. We've got some ads and some music takers up to the uh, top of the hour with The Clash and some revolution rock here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, 
Download the BFM app.